0: Coming up on episode 52 of the Up For Life podcast.
1: But it was like someone had taken my brain and put it on the internet. I always thought of rap as kind of this ever-expanding web of, or rap lyrics in particular, and music because of sampling, like this ever-expanding web of references and call-outs. And, you know, so if I would hear someone say something, and it'd be a reference to an earlier song. I would almost visualize it as something resembling a hyperlink anyway. And so to actually see that on the internet was stunning. And I quickly got far too deeply involved in that website initially as a hobby. You know, it's not like if someone had said, do you want to work there? It would have been like asking, do you want to win the lottery? Like, do I want to have my job be the thing I spend all my spare time doing? Sure. Yeah, it sounds great. I'd also, you know, love to come across a big bag of money on the ground. But, you know, it didn't seem possible. But, you know, eventually, you know, some VC money came in, it became a part-time and then a full-time job. And by the time that ended, I was sort of deeply enough ensconced in that world that I, you know, was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm doing this now and ended up, you know, freelancing for a few years, writing for Forbes, doing some other stuff, and then ending up at Complex.
2: I like Many people like him.
0: yes indeedy welcome to the Upful life podcast i'm your host b getz and this is episode number 52 coming at you live and direct from the vibe junkie studio in oakland california december 2021 finishing strong Love y'all. So grateful you are tuning in. Yes, indeedy, and we're back. Episode number 52. The last one of 2021. What a year. Man. Yeah, just kind of shaking my head. Wondering where we're headed. I want to say thank you to everybody who tunes into this podcast, supports the work that I do in print and on the pod waves. Give thanks a deep bow of gratitude and With everything happening and the culture wars and division and, of course, the surge of Omicron. Um, Just, it's overwhelming and emotional, sensory, anxiety overload. And I just want to tell everyone, you know, I love you. Stay safe. Stay sane stay something you know before we got to this heightened time of fear and panic once again uh, things were kind of slowly and steadily getting back together as far as at least music and the music industry and touring artists and parties and such and maybe that was premature I don't know but it felt good for a minute I saw a few lettuce shows which I wrote up on Live For Live Music. You can check that out. I caught my man Will Blades. I saw Mike Dillon with Brian Haas and Nikki Glaspie as the Punkadelic Project. Um, went to some great parties up in Nevada City, live DJs in the woods around Thanksgiving. Just feel-good vibes were happening, and, and I hate to see the air uh, start to change and momentum shift in a direction that's frankly foreboding and uh, quite troubling. And that's never mind to say all the socio-cultural political stuff. I'm not even going to touch that shit. Um just wanted to take this time where I normally like plug some business or endeavor of a collaborator friend or peer hopefully someday a sponsor instead I just wanted to talk directly to the audience and I don't know I said what I said. I said a lot of things about a lot of albums and music this year and a feature. My annual favorite albums of the year on Up For Life. And I'll get into a bit of that after the interview. But that's what I had going on since we last spoke. Thanks for everyone who tuned into the Neil Francis Pod Crazy. He was on like a gang of podcasts right around the same time, obviously, with the new album coming out. So, um... Yeah, I really just, I loved that episode and I loved the feedback and I just wanted to, you know, let everyone know that I I really appreciate all the good vibes, all the empowerment. As we, uh, you know, move into 2022, we'll see what happens. It's been a string of really difficult losses of late and uh, not the least of which was last week with Hub from The Roots. Original or long-time bass player, and as some of you know, I go way back with the legendary Roots Crew, Illadelph's Illist. You know how we do, and I couldn't help but put pen to paper or digitally <laughs> to say what uh, I had to say about the passing of Leonard Hubbard, best known as Hub. Black Thought liked to introduce him as Leonardo Del Rubio, international bass pimp. So I wrote a bit of a reflection on his passing. You can find that on upfullife.com. I didn't write anything on the passing of Robbie Shakespeare, of Sly and Robbie, the greatest reggae bass player of all time, truly a king among men. Um, Black Uhuru is my favorite reggae band, and The Sly and Robbie era with Michael Rose and Ducky and Puma. That's just like pure drugs as far as music goes. And I mean, Robbie, you could just check out his discography. He's played with everyone, not just reggae artists. I'm talking about runs the gamut. And uh, he passed uh, suddenly, as far as I know. um, I didn't have any word that he was ill or sick. So it was really a shock to the system to hear that news. You know, Barry Harris, another one gone right in the same week. But um, I really wanted to talk a bit about the passing of Greg Tate. Big part of why I want to do that is especially the nature of today's episode, which is about hip hop with uh, tremendous hip hop journalist, author, podcast OG, uh, who, you know, he nor I would probably be where we are without the iconic and you know forget trend setting he kicked the door down writing about hip-hop music writing about the lineage between you know all the eras and genres and cultures of black music that came before hip-hop and and wrote about hip-hop in the moment and wrote about music as something deeper and more profound than entertainment or even just art and that spoke to so many people i'm going to share some other folks thoughts of greg tate um, my boy randy sent me his book during the pandemic early in the pandemic Flyboy boy in the buttermilk which is a collection of essays uh that he had written over time about music put it out in 92 um, but before that i read him in the village voice and vibe magazine and really a number of places over the years and i don't know that there's really any other journalist in that space or in my lifetime uh quite as revered in the same space in the same way in the same i can't you know he was a unicorn and and we're gonna hear just a little bit why here i want to start with uh just who he was Greg Tate, a journalist and critic whose articles for The Village Voice, Rolling Stone, and other publications starting in the 1980s helped elevate hip hop and street art to the same plane as jazz and abstract expressionism. He died on Tuesday in New York City at 64. Mr. Tate exploded on the New York cultural scene in the early 1980s, soon after graduating from Howard University, contributing freelance music reviews to The Voice. And then he joined the weekly newspaper staff in 1987 and he almost immediately became its preeminent writer on black music, art, and by extension, one of the city's leading cultural critics. New York at the time was an ebullient chaos of cultures. It's downtown scene populated by street artists, struggling writers, disco DJs, punk rockers, living in cheap apartments and crowding clubs like Paradise Garage and CBGB. The village voice was their Bible. And Mr. Tate was very often their guide. That was Clay Risen uh, for the New York Times. Of course, I got to give give you Quest Love. Um, this one is rather different. Greg Tate was rather different. Greg was my first and, in some ways, truest North Star. Back in the mid-80s, when I was 16 trying to unravel the world, someone recommended that I read Greg and the pieces he was doing in The Village Voice. Since age 10, Rolling Stone, Cream, Cashbox, Billboard, Periodicals were all I knew and read, to cover, knew and read cover to cover in the household. But it was few, far and few between when I ran across any black journalist doing any critical writing about music. I started reading his bits around 87 and I was changed forever. Greg was the first person who validated the art that I loved and made it intellectually viable. I never heard anyone speak of hip-hop in those terms before. I had never heard of Afrofuturism. I had never encountered a writer who made the case that Public Enemy was just as important as The Beatles and who made it with such intelligence. This was during a time when my dad and I were really at odds about culture for the first time. My dad was a person who made binge record shopping, something I do to this day, an event. Music was our thing. Now we are at odds. My dad was turning into a grumpy cynic and I didn't like it. So there was a 10 year gap in which I had no one to bounce ideas off of like I did with my dad in the 70s. Enter Greg, to see a black person write so eloquently about this music, hip hop, but not just hip hop. It gave me confidence and clarity. It saved me. He made the music high art with pieces that were high art by themselves. I didn't even know that he was a musician yet, but I knew that his best instrument was his pen. That's part one. This thing is four parts long, but that gives you a little bit of, of Quest Love's eulogy. And I'm going to do one more. My man, Jay Smooth, who I hope to have on this podcast, who was a guest on The Cypher Show which is the podcast we're about to talk about on this episode. And he's the man from Ill Doctrine Radio, just a a legend from hip-hop journalism. Uh, Much like my guest today, and in the shadow and lineage and the space that uh, Greg Tate created. Greg Tate basically, he, he didn't just walk so we could run. He trudged... Back and forth to school, uphill both ways in a snowstorm with sunra and his headphones on a 10 strip. That's me, by the way, not Jay Smooth. But that's the role he played for people like Jay Smooth or a Questlove or a Sean Sitaro or myself. Jay Smooth says, how do you begin to find the words? How does one even type out or speak the phrase, finding the words for Greg Tate? It doesn't even sound right. Because who is Greg Tate, if not the one, the one, who always has the words for us, who sees the vision, makes the connections, reveals the lineage, invokes the spirits within, and honors how they always speak through us. In those days when almost no one thought we were worth looking at or seriously thinking about it all, he saw us, loved us, and spoke that love with so much poetry and clarity, it became an architecture, a foundation. We all get to build a pot. There might be no better tribute than to tally in these coming days how many of us found our voice by wishing we could write like Greg Tate and realizing we never could. And we never will. But we will keep on writing, singing, spitting, creating, being, and speaking ourselves. And trying to type it out now, I can't quite bring myself around to claim he'll be speaking through us. But I want to believe, if nothing else, he'll still be seeing us and knows how grateful we are. tense but uh had to get it out wanted to take a few minutes thank everyone that's uh left reviews on itunes apple podcasts really appreciate that you can rate and or review the pod if you have the time and are so inclined on apple podcasts or really any podcast platform of choice but the apple podcast reviews go a long way to steering those algorithms in this direction, bringing new listeners, and we give thanks for everybody that rates and reviews and tunes into this pod. Thank you so much. Also, want to let you know you can reach me directly. Send me an email b.getz at upfullife.com, b.getz at upfullife.com. Anything you want to share, any reflections, any suggestions interpretations constructive criticisms you name it love to hear from the listeners B. gets at upfullife.com of course you can follow us on instagram at upful underscore life facebook backslash upfullife and of course if you'd like to support the work that i do please check me out patreon.com backslash upfullife this is lahore state of mind by uh jaubi pakistani ensemble but remixed by al dobson jr in london so you got dj premier's nas joint going all the way out to pakistan getting flipped with some uh, instrumentation native to that country and tradition then that piece of music shipped over to england and al dobson jr putting his twist on it so lahore state of mind al dobson jr remix Jalbi is the artist now let's get into episode 52 you all know how we do Episode 52 is honored and truly privileged to welcome the great Sean Sitaro, a.k.a. Same old Sean uh, from Complex. Also, he was the longtime host of the Cypher Show podcast, which really, maybe more than any other show, directly influenced and inspired the Up for Life podcast. He, Sean is also the former editor-in-chief of Rap Genius. Yep, you heard that right. He's written about music and culture for Forbes, The Atlantic, Vibe, The Source, GQ, Esquire, The Sondheim Review, and more. He's also the writer and reporter behind Infamous, the Takashi 6ix9ine story, which was a complex Spotify podcast about the controversial rapper, and most recently, the author of Complex presents Dummy Boy, Takashi Six Nine and the Nine Tray Gangsta Bloods, a brand new book that just dropped this week, December twenty first. Got pushed back a couple times, so we actually recorded this interview in the fall, but uh, the book is out now. You can get it where books are sold. Um, we'll talk a little bit about well he and i talk a whole lot about takashi Nine, but i'm going to give you the rundown about that because i'm sure a wide uh, swath of listeners are probably not intimately familiar with the details so i'm going to give you the cliff notes but before we get to that let's talk about sean sitaro this dude Literally, like not unlike a Jay Blakesburg, although much later on, uh, is directly inspired me. Is also like an example of what's possible out there when you just follow your muse and know what you're like looking for and go for it. You know, it doesn't always work out, but Sean is a shining example of how it did and does and continues to, and how he stays ahead of the curve in the music media game while still being like having the credentials and the work and the portfolio uh, to show that he, you know, is about about it, as they say. Um, for me with Sean, I mean, I was familiar with Rap Genius, of course, but uh, it wasn't until I was out on the weed farm, Mikey Dread. Shout out, Mikey Dread. You know, I spent so much time out there working and my man Jackson Whalen was out there a bunch too. Underground MC producer, he's been on the show anyway. That's really where he and I met and became good friends. And we bonded over hip hop, and we listened to pretty much every episode 200 plus episodes of The Cypher Show, which is basically a much, much better, more professional, more thorough. Version of what I try to accomplish here, which is long-form interviews with not just the artists themselves, but people in the culture and flies on the wall, as uh, Sean borrows, I think, from Say Adams, maybe, uh, in our interview, and and he just created a universe of like hip-hop scholarship by way of podcasting, and it was that show and um, Juan Epp or Juan Epstein which was uh, Peter Rosenberg's podcast alongside Cypher Sounds. So those two podcasts really kicked down the door for me um, to be a culture reporter. And I was like, all right, I want to port that stuff to my universe. But really, same old Sean, Which is what he went by in the early days on the cypher and probably rap genius too um same old sean he went to berkeley school of music college of music in boston where lettuce was born right around the same time there's an adam deitz shout out on an episode of the cypher but i won't spoil that um there's of course sean's path as a musician and then his sort of redirection as a writer journalist author podcaster which again mirrors my own um And it was all those hours and hours and hours of just the mindless of trimming weed bucking weed just being in the barn working and being able to just you know binge on the cypher and it took me back to the days of like okplayer.com which is where i used to binge on like hip-hop culture and reporting and commiserating with other people like myself a message board through the okay player website. And and that sort of fizzled out with social media and podcasting has sort of filled that role and nothing, no other show like the cypher uh, lit the fuse under me, put the battery in my back. And of course I took the opportunity to tell Sean that all this to say, um, he has the ability to tell a story in a different way. As a writer, than as he does as an interviewer, and he's able to take both of those and uh, sort of channel them and harness them with his projects in the zeitgeist, namely the Takashi Six Nine stuff. So, man let me tell you first off sean is such an incredible journalist that i've listened to all the takashi 69 podcasts that he did through complex and read his book cover to cover in two sittings and i find the content objectionable repugnant um deplorable to borrow a term so that tells you how good he is at what he does and and the team he's put together so um since we talk at length he came on the show because he's promoting the book and he's been on some other podcasts as well but i don't know that they were quite like our interview same i could say for neil francis last week but um with regard to uh the takashi 69 project he wrote this book again complex presents dummy boy takashi Six 69 and the nine tray gangsta bloods and that's how we came on the show, but we took it back. We talked cypher. We talk rap genius, everything. But let me give you the 411 on Takashi 6 9 uh, It's a complicated one to say the least. Uh, the rapper, born Danny Hernandez, infiltrated the world of hip-hop by becoming the clown prince of rap. He leveraged his polarizing persona and trolling other artists to become a constant topic of conversation. 6 ascent was paused, however, when he was arrested on racketeering charges, weapons, drugs, in 2018 due to his affiliation with the nine Trey gangster bloods six nines subsequent escape from life or a life sentence in part by snitching on his fellow gang members is a story that's just as chaotic as his rap career and trying to make sense of it all is a daunting task that's where sean sataro comes in journalist podcaster author he's been reporting on the rapper long before the racketeering charges were brought against him now he had never written a book before but He said that this project, Dummy Boy, the podcast, and of course the book, um, was born out of a realization that after covering 6ix9ine extensively through his articles and podcasting, the next logical step was to put it into a book. And I think right there is a microcosm of everything I just said, his journey, his skill set, his relationships, his process, harnesses all that, takes this story out of the zeitgeist, and you'll hear the rest of how he uh, went from, you know zero to a hundred with this whole thing over the course of a couple years. Just gotta give you a little bit of the pop smoke four one one as well. Uh, he was dubbed the New King of New York within just a year of his debut and he was a rapid rise to the mainstream became the face and pioneer of Brooklyn's rising drill scene and his life was cut short shot in a robbery February 19th 2020 my birthday it happened in Los Angeles i happened to be in Los Angeles that day i remember it well uh anyway new spotify podcast called complex subject pop smoke and it's a posthumous in-depth look and a tribute to the to the rapper And it's a six-episode series that unpacks his life and death, as told by the people closest to him, his whirlwind final months, and a legacy he leaves behind. So we talk a bit about that, Sean and I do, as that was in the process of coming out week by week when we chatted. Um, It also sent me down the rabbit hole of of learning about drill music culture, which I, much to the chagrin of my fiancé, I spend quite a bit of time... (laughs) watching trap lore ross on youtube but that's a story for another time just fascinating in-depth documentaries about drill music culture and the violence associated with it and also the musical evolution and man it's head scratching stuff but nonetheless a uh, whole lot to unpack with my guy sean Sitaro. same old sean it inspired me as much as anyone to have this show and you're about to hear just how and why uh again check him out uh, sean Sataro from complex the book is called dummy boy the story of takashi 69 and the nine tray gangsta bloods y'all gonna learn today yes indeedy up for life podcast episode 52 here comes same old sean
3: Yo, what is a cipher?
1: We are talking about art here. Yes, I'm just the
2: same old Sean. The knowledge of the cipher is to enlighten
3: you. Where do you think the cipher come from? The gods. Cause you try to jump the cipher and it goes this way. Oh.
1: Welcome to The Cypher. I'm your host, Sean Citaro.
0: Right on. Well, this is a long time in the making and it is in a, a real honor and privilege and pleasure to speak with uh, a journalist and a podcaster and a presence in the, not just hip hop community, but a popular music community and culture at large. Somebody admire, respect and listen and read. Regularly, and that is the one and only same old Sean, Mister Sean Sataro. Welcome to the Up Life podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. I really, really appreciate it. I am, uh, I'm just really, really glad to be here and to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Likewise, and and like I said, I've been listening to you, reading you for a long time. Um, as somebody who exists in you know music print media and a fledgling podcaster, uh, you really are a trailblazer for so many of us. Um, I can't stress enough how much your work has influenced me and my peers, um, shown us new avenues, new ways to tell stories, to report, to embed and immerse ourselves in the culture. You know, a lot of people say with the advent of the internet that like deep journalism went by the wayside. And I think you're a shining example to the contrary.
1: Thank you, Brian. Really, that, that means a ton to hear. I, I really appreciate it. You know, I've always just tried to do what I was curious about, what I was interested in. And it's it's been fantastic to see that it has found and, and continues to find an audience. You know, we'll, we'll get into this later. But obviously, what this book is about, what I spent the past few years doing is very different than the cipher, right? It's very my work at at Complex in my work, especially in podcasting, is different, but I obviously see through lines because I'm the same person doing it. And it's been good to see people who, you know, know me from that show, follow, you know, trust me enough to take the leap into this other stuff as well. And, you know, you're obviously an example of that. And, and I've, I've just been so grateful to see it.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, I found it to be a curious leap. And I made it with no, you know, no trepidation. Obviously, uh, the 6 9 story is not, as you stated, really in the paradigm that might have been covered on the cipher or even rap genius before that. But no doubt it's omnipresent uh, in the culture. And there are a lot of lessons to be learned outside of just art. Um, so I do want to talk about your whole journey and your whole Path that led you up to the Six Nine Project, but let's start now, and then we'll jump in the wayback machine. Um, I know you—you uh, you mentioned you spent the better part of a few years on this story. Mm-hmm. So, how does uh, it even arrive on your desk to to pursue? Uh, what What was the moment where you said, "Okay, I'm going to do a story on Takashi Six ine and why?
1: So, I was aware of him before all this started a couple months before everything started uh dj academics actually brought him to the complex office uh oh. to try to introduce him to writers and i stayed out of the way <laughs> i regret that now of course now i think oh i wish i could have asked him you know 18 million things but uh you know so it was obviously between that and just general you know awareness of the scene you know i knew what was going on there's there's video relics of that day by the way i think he did you know a video interview not with me uh that day with with act that's still on the internet somewhere um but yeah so i knew who he was and if you think back to the summer of 2018 right there were a lot of the whole sort of soundcloud rap scene was in full swing right mm-hmm. and People at traditional media, legacy media, whatever you want to call it, were at least at Complex, were debating how to cover it. There didn't seem to be a clear path because a lot of these artists simply didn't care about press in the way that, you know, older artists had. Uh, They could just go on social media, speak directly to their fans. And also, you know, some of them, including Takashi, had you know, either rumored or confirmed issue, you know, personal behavior issues that made it so, you know, you couldn't just be like, oh, here's a cool new song they did. You know, there, there had to be something else there. Right. And we were trying to thread that needle. And I actually remember uh, someone at Complex, one of the higher ups in the editorial side, he said, what about that Treyway guy who's always around Takashi? Like maybe that guy's a way in. That's the person we now know as Shadi uh, Kefano mm-hmm. Jordan. But at that time, you know, no one knew his name. Uh, you know, I would say almost venture to say no one outside of a handful of people in New York and New Jersey, you know, knew, right. knew his name. Right. And I certainly didn't. And that was the summer of 2018 that started me just kind of looking into him who is this guy who's posting about him? Who are all these other people who were, you know, posting about this Treyway thing? And, you know, after a few months of that in November, the arrest happened and that started the whole, you know, I started going to court and things just kind of spiraled from there.
0: I know what you mean uh, with regard to, you know, the Trayway guy in the midst and him being this sort of like looming figure, uh, I've obviously come to know all about him through your reporting, your book, uh, the Showtime program, uh, the podcast. So it's interesting to hear that it had such just a really rather innocuous beginnings. Uh, Wasn't an atomic bomb right away, but swiftly became so. And you know, uh, in my circle, just discussing the book a little bit with some friends, that I know from like the okay player days and people I really respect. Uh, their kind of hip hop acumen. You know, none of them have gotten a chance to read the book, but m- most of them have listened to the podcast and a couple of them watch the program on television. And I think what you did such a incredible job of doing was tell the human story behind these people uh, and their lives and their, you know, socioeconomic predicaments and their, you know, Nuclear family structures and criminal behaviors learned from generations, and and while that's not new territory, uh, it felt like it for this generation. You know, for for the so-called SoundCloud rap culture, if you will, and there have been a number of cautionary tales that have spiraled out of that that era, if you will. Uh, uh, Naturally, Lil Peep comes to mind. Somebody I would have never imagined that I'd find. Uh, intriguing as an artist or a human, also uh, shown to be a really human story and a tragic one at that. Um, Yours, less drugs, more criminal in terms of the Takashi story, but also a tragic uh, figure and tale that is so much deeper than just an asshole on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, I was curious, like, uh, how did you peel back the layers to, in essence, get really uh, intimate details and stories and narratives from you know, the individual's lives uh, who are these, as we noted, shadowy figures with you know, internet surnames and, and gang names they've taken. And obviously they're, they're not usually the inclined people to allow a reporter or someone not of their set or culture or block so inside i'm just curious how did you navigate that sure so
1: i got my information from a bunch of sources you know interviews as you mentioned or some of them and i think you know doing hundreds of interviews of all sorts of people over the years maybe more than hundreds are was part of it you know you you develop a set of tools for talking to people right and a, a set of skills and an approach and and part of that is really trying to enter the room with foreknowledge right with advanced knowledge and with respect and that works you know and that works with Elzai and it works with Ms. Treway. you know it, right. it um you know people know if you are taking them seriously and people want to tell their story and with takashi with danny there were so many people who felt like they were at least in part responsible for his success and he had ignored them thrown them to the side left them behind and they were you know they were happy to share once i found them you know once we found them once the team found them they were they were happy to share you know what i wrote that i wrote that verse or you know i was the one who got all the people out to that video shoot or whatever it was or you know i was the one who you know made sure he could go to all those clubs in connecticut safely or whatever you know whatever it was people were were willing to share their their side of the story
0: word yeah i i find that really telling um that you know, the, he left this trail of betrayal behind him. Even before he turned state's evidence, you know, he had discarded people who had made him. And and you do a really uh, great job of of you know laying that groundwork of the relationships, how they happened. Uh, you know, with the original you know scum crew from from Brooklyn and and some of the original the, I don't want to call it whatever the blood set was priest treyway Like, it was mm-hmm. just, I would never have been able to really grasp the nuanced nature of these relationships and how they were broken or why they were broken and, and how that ended up coming back to bite him. And you, you got in there and, and you really were able to piece it together. You mentioned the word team. So I'm curious, it, it, when does it become less Sean Sitar the reporter, and not, then you have a, a Spotify podcast, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was it Showtime for the TV? So, you know, I am in the
1: in Vikram Gandhi's uh documentary, which is on Hulu, but I'm an interview subject there. I wasn't like a producer on I it or anything,
0: yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, yeah. I do the, remember seeing you, yeah, on the Vikram, screen,
1: uh, yeah. Vikram is okay. great, he, you know, he's a friend. We certainly have talked about the case plenty, but that is his movie. I am, I am just an All interview. Right. Uh, an interview subject in it. But yeah, I guess to the, to the team issue, certainly like, you know, I started out court reporting, you know, going, going to court, figuring out what, what was going on and writing, you know, writing about it. And also was talking to uh, a coworker complex, this woman, Shiva, who is in charge of podcasts. And we developed this idea of doing a narrative podcast. Right. And eventually got approval to make it about six, nine. And, you know, before anyone else got involved, it was the two of us doing interviews, getting all sorts of people over to the complex office and interviewing them and going through the tape and putting it together. Uh, as time went on, eventually we, you know, got partners in Spotify. We got a budget. We were able to bring on, uh, and Hepperman who's sort of our executive producer really helped us put it together, we were able to bring on a fantastic editor in Catherine St. Louis and, you know, it was a pretty small team, but that was the, those were the core people in the podcast, obviously there's other people, people who like, did the music Jordan Granados and, you know, sound designer mixer, you know, shouts to all of them Um, Incidentally all of the music in that series almost all of the original music is done by Jordan who produced many of Takashi's early songs, so just kind of a little, you know little yeah. sort of uh, easter egg in there um but yeah it it was you know this very small team that worked on putting the podcast together and obviously the reporting done for that uh formed the basis of a lot of stuff in the book uh so it was a mix of doing interviews for the podcast and then just going to court and keeping up on the court stuff constantly uh and i will say that you know for me going to every single court hearing was tremendously helpful. Even the ones Takashi wasn't at, even the ones that really had almost nothing to do with him, even the ones that were just like, okay, we're only here to set a date for the next thing. um, Going to as many of those as I could get advance notice of was extremely helpful and, you know, really helped shape the whole experience.
0: I bet. I bet. I actually found that, Unique because uh, I went to a murder trial that I covered for a college thing. Uh, there was a murder in my hometown many, many years ago. And I'll spare you the details, but basically I went to court. It was a hung jury. So two murder trials. And yeah. I understand the nature of the just the little contextual things that happen. Maybe if somebody doesn't take a stand, but there's a ruling made or all kinds of stuff that happens just by being present. And, and that really brings me to something i wanted to discuss and we can even fold in uh the pop smoke podcast that you recently uh wrote mm-hmm. uh, the the cypher which you know when I mean, we get into that um too but the cypher for me just the definitive interview styled uh rap nerd minutia, really really deep thirty thousand leagues you know culture and, and it's not you know my own pod is not too different from that in terms of structurally, and and I draw a lot of inspiration from that. But the the true crime uh, episodic narrative podcast is a different lane, and, and the true crime it's very popular. It can be kind of like sensationalist, but at the same time, it it's like you know we binge them and we can't wait to get to the next episode. So you were able to to in essence, you know, commingle uh, what you. Established with the cipher, with your hip hop credentials and your, you know, thumb on the pulse of the culture for decades, uh, that port that over to like the true crime episodic narrative. I was just going to ask, like, uh, was your process considerably different? Did you find that your experience with the cipher or complex or rap genius was uh, a boon to the work, or was it? inhibitive in any way. I'm just curious, uh, you know, how this changed, you know, the modus operandi.
1: Sure. I mean, it's a good question. I can't go back and do the Takashi experience without having done the cipher. So I, I, you know, I, there's no way to AB it. Right. So I can't, I don't know if I can totally untangle that, but I'll do my best. Uh, yeah. I mean, first of all, it was, you know, having done the cipher, was for one thing great in that it made me want to continue podcasting even after the show sort of took its indefinite hiatus you know I knew that world that space um and I knew how to interview people now you know doing the kind of interviewing for a narrative show sometimes it's different and this was where I was glad to have you know, other people from the more traditional audio world to help, you know, with that process. But basically, you know, the... It was this basic inquisitiveness that just got transferred from, you know, how did you make that song? What did that lyric mean? To what the hell happened in this crazy story? Because, you know, now once Takashi has testified, once the book has been written, it's all pretty laid out. While... I was working on this we were uncovering it bit by bit you know trying to figure out things that had happened just a few months prior you know uh what went down what were the real dynamics what were the real relationships um, you know figuring it out you know day by day uh and so there you know so I think just keeping that same basic level of inquisitiveness of following, you know, what is interesting about this was, you know, was key. One big thing I had to learn, of course, was writing for the ear, you know, the cipher was, you know, Josh did a fantastic job editing and inserting stuff and he cut out a thousand ums and us from me, but (laughs) It was, in a, in a sort of uh, philosophical sense, a lightly edited show, in that what you heard was almost everything important in the conversation that we actually had. And the writing for the ear was limited to intros and outros, right? Mm-hmm. This is just a whole different animal. Not only am I writing for the ear, but I'm writing for Angie Martinez, you know, the, the voice of New York is gonna say whatever the hell I put on the paper.
2: Baby boy. Hot ninety seven. Huh? Oh shut up. Wings of morning. It's hot ninety seven, Angie cooling out with you. Battle of the beats. Yes y'all. In a couple of minutes I got um Brandy and Wanye right now is hot ninety seven.
1: So you know which is needless to say why we had editors for that program. <laughs> and you know uh, Catherine did just an incredible job. And that took some learning that took some you know that was a big process of just like going from writing long articles where you can have two or three clauses or speaking to someone extemporaneously going from that to writing narration for somebody you know and and you want to have it not only be understandable the first time someone hears it it has to sound authentic to someone who's not me and who has a decades long, you know, persona in public, right? Right. Um, And so Andrew was great at that she would always stop us and say, I would never say that that doesn't sound like me. And, you know, in the middle of recording, sometimes we would work on rephrasing stuff. Um, So, you know, she was just a, a great partner in that sense.
0: That's cool because she really wanted to be authentic from her voice and and sound as if she would have said it otherwise. Yeah,
1: I mean, look, people. You know, I am under no illusion that people pay attention to credits. You know, I would say, I would imagine for ninety percent of the people who listen to it, to the extent they thought about it at all, they would think, oh, that's you know, just something Angie's saying, right? You know, or that's something Angie's thinking, and so we want to make it clear that like, you know, it has to be something that. She's com- you know, she's comfortable talking about coming out of her mouth. This was also, you know, an issue in the in the pop smoke show as well. Punch was always our final ROS punch, was always our final backstop, right? Is this, you know, authentic to you? You know, would you say this? How would you say this? And, you know, a lot of some some of the stuff was, you know, essentially him riffing that we and a lot of ideas in the narration were taken from conversations with him.
0: Word. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh those the parallels there because you know you have like you said, the voice of New York City, uh Angie Martinez really uh narrating what is in essence the story of New York City of the this time uh in hip-hop culture, and then you know, with punch and and pop smoke, and I have to say I'm not that familiar with Pop Smoke until, you know, I knew a little bit and then I listened to the pod and, and listened to a bunch more, but I remember Punch, of course. So to have an old timer or, you know, a few gen- another generation back from Canarsie, supervise and narrate and, and tell an authentic story about a cat from his neighborhood. Um, I thought that that was, again, super authentic and, and a, a testament to the power of the narrative is coming from those voices and what they represent in the culture. Real quick, uh, before we turn the page on uh, Dummy Boy, what is the date of release?
1: Sure. So Dummy Boy, uh, Takashi Six Nine and the Nine Trey Gangster Bloods, published by Kingston Imperial. Uh, it will be out. I just found out today in late November. The uh, original street date was October twelfth, but you know, COVID is wreaking yep. havoc with supply lines all over the world. Find it on wherever you buy books. You know that that big place or the other places. Um, <laughs> you can you can pre-order it uh, anywhere you you find books. And audio uh, book audio book f- as well, narrated by the fantastic Dion Graham. Uh, that will Sweet. be available for pre-order very soon.
0: Ah, that's good to know, and we'll put yeah. a, a link in the show notes for sure. Um, and the official name of the Spotify podcast on Takashi.
1: Sure, uh, infamous the Takashi Six Nine story, and yeah, that you can find that you know on Spotify. So search for that, you'll see uh, you know Takashi's photo. <laughs> That's as the key art. So I'm sure there's a lot of people who've
0: snitched over the years in hip hop, but very rarely has it ever appeared on such a scale.
2: Takashi Six
1: Nine came out of nowhere to become 2018's biggest new rapper. One day, he's Danny Hernandez a young kid making deli sandwiches in Bushwick. The next, everyone knew his trademark tattoos and rainbow hair. He had 15 million followers on Instagram. He collaborated with superstars like Nicki Minaj, Kanye West, 50 Cent and Young Thug. And then, only one year later, he became something else hip-hop's most infamous cooperating witness.
3: Mr. Hernandez, do you recognize anyone in the courtroom who was a member of Nine Trey when you were a member?
1: Mm. I'm Angie Martinez, and this is Infamous, the Takashi 6 ix 9 story. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely, you know, again, narrated by Angie Martinez, uh, Complex and Spotify production, you can find that on Spotify.
0: Right on. And speaking of, uh, touch on Pop Smoke for a second. I'm curious uh, the genesis of that story for you. I know obviously his tragic killing uh, had it definitely in the zeitgeist, um, but sadly that's not a, a tale unique to him. What about uh, Pop Smoke as his, his story or his music or his whatever, what called to you to say, uh, I want to tell this one next?
1: Sure. It was, it was a number of things. I think the impact he had on New York City in just such a short time, uh, you know, if you were to call back to the summer of 2019, um, you could not go anywhere without hearing a song of his. I mean.
3: Baby, welcome to the party. Huh? I hit the boy up and then I go skating around. Baby, welcome to the party. <laughs> Pick up my thot. Gimme lit. Gimme lit. Got no mind. Got no mind. One in the head. One in the head. Turn the clip. Turn the clip. Baby. 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 Baby don't trip. Baby don't trip. Just lower your tone. Lower your tone. Cause you can get, don't get hit. Don't let that happen to my sister. I get your buddy. Next day I forget it. Next day I forget it.
2: Bye. Nigga try just call the body. Oh, nigga try just call the and body. And listen again.
1: Unfortunately, sadly, that was also true for the summer of 2020 for somewhat different reasons because he, had, mm-hmm. you know, he died by that time, but, you know, it, in such, he released his first song at like the tail end of 2018 and six months later, you know, he's ubiquitous in New York City. Like the, the, and his rise coincided with really the national rise of this whole entire sound, this Brooklyn Drill sound. Right, and so there was that, there were obviously the, the tragic circumstances of his death. Um, I had worked, I had actually been at his court hearing, uh, unfortunately the sole court, court hearing in a case, uh, public hearing in a case where he was arrested on federal charges for this uh, alleged car theft. Uh, so that was the one time I saw him in person uh, although I didn't get to speak to him, he snuck out the back way that day, I recall, uh, ducking me and a handful of other reporters. Um, there's actually a whole thing about that day in the, in the podcast, uh, a yeah. whole, you know, whole episode, part of an episode about that day. So, you know, I was intimately familiar with the details of that case and suspected from the beginning that the federal government didn't much care about a stolen car and was more interested in what they thought they knew about his gang ties. So that was hanging over it as well. Uh, it obviously is a story that resonates deeply with the complex audience. Uh, and yeah, so it just, when we wanted to put together a podcast, you know, our, uh, our music team had just done a story about Brooklyn Drill, a whole cover story, uh, And it was like, well, can we take that idea that was so successful and kind of expand it? And, you know, doing the podcast was one, was also a way of kind of taking Complex's previous coverage of Drill, of Brooklyn Drill specifically, and kind of expanding it into a new medium.
3: In just one year, Pop Smoke became the hottest rapper from New York. He took Brooklyn Drill from his hometown streets and brought it to the mainstream. New York Rap was back, Pop Smoke in the, Pop Smoke in the building, Pop Smoke. But just as fast as he rose, Pop was gone.
2: According to TMZ, Pop Smoke was just shot and killed.
3: Damn. Today it's hard to go anywhere without hearing Pop Smoke, but it's another thing to have actually known him. I'm DJ Punch. I grew up down the street from Pop in Canarsie, Brooklyn. I saw him way before the fame and the big records, when he was just a little crip in the town and was going viral on World Star for F- 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 Welcome to Complex Subject, a new podcast series that dives deep into the untold stories behind the defining artists and moments of our time. So, who better to start with than Pop Smoke?
0: Right on, yeah. I, I gotta tell you, like it's really interesting to hear uh, you frame it at, in the context of Brooklyn Drill and the impact that that had not only on, on the city of New York, but hip-hop in general and evidenced by the meteoric rise of Pop Smoke in such a short period of time. I'm curious. I, I'm reminded of the scene. I'm a big wire guy. And there's a scene from the wire where Poot is kind of uh, talking about, you know, they say the new generation, they're bad. They're, they're worse. Where do you get a load of them? And, and it's kind of like this cyclical thing where the next generation is harder and worse and more violent. And we've been seeing that, you know, going back to like Paris, you know, when mm-hmm. he, his album came out all through NWA and then of course the, the West coast G funk and Tupac and big and so forth. Now you're seeing, you know, I obviously started in Chicago and which is, you know, as violent as it can possibly be. Um, but you're seeing it in Jacksonville uh, and obviously uh, in Brooklyn with, with drill music and the cultures that, or the culture that surrounds where they're calling out their ops in the songs and referencing real life murders. I mean, it happened mm-hmm. to this, I'm from Philly. It happened to this guy, uh, a rap, Mm -hmm. not that long ago, where they played his own music in court, detailing certain killings and stuff. Um, So I'm asking you, as somebody who has reported, been a fan and a reporter and chronicled the culture, is this the same movie we're seeing, going back to Paris? Or is it that much more brutal, violent, and in essence, ugly in 2021 with, with the drill thing?
1: I think, I mean there's a whole lot in, in there. And I would say like, you know, you can't look at drill music without looking at the way, you know, without looking at a couple of things. Uh, One of the things we get out of the podcast is yes, drill and gangs are interrelated. You can't, especially in a Brooklyn drill context, you can't separate that out. Uh, So much of the subject matter of the music is about, like you said, very specific street issues there are sort of these two uh to put it simply two kind of confederations of different sets that at least as the time period we're speaking of in pop smoke a are kind of like 2018 2019 2020 sort of their conflict you know motivated a lot of this music
3: I'm hosting on the lands I'll be forcing. Belly truck when I'm sliding, my bitches excited. by heads off the wheel when I'm parking. If you ever saw me, get the cash. I'm married and denim so axe when it costs. You guys made to the course and be okay. Let's talk about it if you feel away. Nigga, everything came. Be twenty four. Don't call me blood, keep that door. Big one I two. short of remorse. My design, all
1: the stores, Uh at the same time, I wanna say, like, this is music and artists. The people talking about this stuff and the people sort of on the front lines of whatever is happening in the streets, sometimes they're the same, a lot of times they're different and may just, you know, know each other. And you want to keep in mind that, like, it is music, so there's room for artistic license, exaggeration, things like this. And a lot of artists' songs are being treated and videos are being treated by authorities as confessions. And there's a lot of scariness going on in there. I'm actually in the middle of working on something right now about a lot of these issues uh, around rap and policing. And, you know, it's really thorny. I mean, especially if you look at pop, you know, pop smoke was, I feel very comfortable saying really, really uh, pushed by squeezed by the feds right which is not because he did anything but because they suspected that he knew stuff right they suspected he knew something about a couple specific incidents about his gang whatever and they knew he was a big star and had a lot to lose right um so it's a you know it's a complicated thorny situation i always want to be clear though that we are talking about art here, right? And that's something to something to keep in mind. Um, as far as the music, I would say that like the music, how a lot of the music is in Brooklyn Drill and other stuff like the scenes you're talking about in Jacksonville, it relates to how social media is used. In a lot of ways, there's a more direct approach, right? You can just say, someone's name and a thing that happened in the same way you might in a Facebook post right? because you want credit for it. You want clout for it. Um, It's no good. If someone doesn't know you did something right, this is and, and social media or songs are the way of broadcasting that we saw this in the Takashi case too, right? Like why did, why did Takashi film his friends committing an armed robbery and then send it to DJ academics to put on the internet? You know, it, it wasn't because he wanted to be caught. That was, you know, he didn't think that was possible. It was, or maybe it didn't even enter his head. I don't know. It was about showing, I am I got one up on J Prince. I got one up on Rapala. So right. I think that this, you know, how the music is relates to how social media is used.
0: That is a, an excellent point. And I actually probably should have touched on that with Takashi as well. The role of social media and and the sort of a disconnect where people just put their crimes on IG live or in a song. And yeah, with regard to the art, um, I think a big difference for me is art. And I guess art is subjective. But for all the, you know, music that represented, you know, urban culture in the eighties and nineties, what Chuck D called the ghetto CNN, you know, there was a uh, sort of street poetry, a sort of, like you said, an imagination, artistic license. There was also like mitigation where you had, there was a Bloods Crips peace song. There was stop the violence in New York city. There was, we're all in the same gang in LA. You saw uh, artists getting together uh, and, and building community in music. And I'm just wondering if that's even possible in the current landscape
1: I mean sure, there are you know efforts at truces and people collaborating and all of this kind of stuff who who might not otherwise, but also you know keep in mind that we are you know we're talking about a business we're talking about what sells and and yeah. if you know one side or another in a in a gang rivalry is getting record deals and selling you know that stuff is going to continue to get pushed uh we get into this a little bit in the the dynamics of this a little bit in the pop smoke podcast uh, you know there's a moment where we sit of lay out how you know chef g blew up on a song dissing uh you know an arrival dissing an op
2: better recognize who you're dealing with run up I'm gonna be a death leave a blicky looking all sticky trippy paramedics looking for his chest get your time cuz you know the blinky squicky stupid niggas running with the best. think they hiding over behind they stick with queenie stupid that
1: stuff is not a best. give them to this and then you know in in as part of this very you know brooklyn specific war is that and, the suburban song suburban uh, yeah that... no no suburban no yeah Suburb, right. yeah with chefs yeah in in response to uh a song called suburban right it's amid that when we dirty then as chef signs to a big label all of a sudden they don't really want to talk about no suburban anymore it's a point where they literally won't allow him to answer questions about it and you they were know, babysitting kind of like, them on the interview right they had yeah. oh yeah A&R. absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're babysitting them in the interview and you know it's they want the attention that comes with you know the gang rivalries but right. not to to answer for it and to kind of leave it behind it's 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 a complicated tough dynamic when you get businesses and multinational public corporations in the middle of these scenes it always has been, but I think with a lot of this stuff, it's sort of extra complicated.
0: Yeah. Especially even people like you and I discussing it, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a fine line because, you know, it's, it's not our lives or our uh, realities yet. Yeah. I mean, this is,
1: this was why it was so important for us to have, you know, one of the reasons it was important for us to have punch, you know, narrate it, not because he's, you know, not to say anything about his, his, you know, he is not in a gang or whatever, but he knows that's his neighborhood. Right. You know, he knows the details of this stuff intimately and, you know, it it just was good to see someone who actually, you know, we wanted someone who actually knows that world to help guide us through that territory.
0: It's important. The authenticity, I, I agree. And I think it's a great combination. I really enjoyed the pop smoke podcast. And again, it's a different lane for you as a journalist, as mm-hmm. is the book. Um, so yeah, we've talked, talked about the, the now for a while. I, I do want to yeah. turn back the clock a little bit. Of um, course. You know, your story and your journey is a remarkable one. Uh, so I was just curious, basically uh, how you found hip hop, maybe your, your earliest Holy shit! Moments uh, of your youth, and and maybe through Berkeley, and and take me to rap. You know, from hip hop in your life to rap genius. You know,
1: sure, sure. So you know, the earliest rap I remember, I would say, rap related things are kind of twofold. First, there was kind of the the breakdancing craze that. Swept the world
0: in cardboard in the driveway early
1: 80s, right? (laughs) Um, I remember it even sneaking its way into my elementary school. God knows we certainly didn't have any experts, but it was you know definitely uh people who thought they knew what they were doing. Um, and and just it being in pop culture, you know, certainly it was at the Olympics in 84, is sort of you know the New York City Breakers were there and all kinds of stuff like
2: homeboys, homegirls, the New York City Breaker.
1: So it's funny, Michael Holman, as I've ended up quoting this a lot lately, Michael Holman has had a great line in an interview that I did with him, where he talked about uh, B-boying being the loss leaders of hip hop.
2: Hmm.
1: Right. In that they were, that was sort of the first art form to really break and never quite got the, you know, national money, whatever, you know, commercial potential right. lasting commercial potential, but was really sort of the first part of it hop to, gain ultra national attention uh in in this kind of massive way so you know there was that also a lot of the early stuff that came out of the def jam rush management access was perfect for a young kid you know run dmc i think had you know had humor that definitely appealed to grade school kids sure uh you know if you think of like uh, you be Illin' or whatever. Some of the jokes in there definitely appealed to me as a, you know, whatever, fourth, fifth grader, whatever.
0: Peter Piper, you know? Yeah, right. Obviously, nursery <laughs> rhymes, right?
1: Now,
3: Peter Piper, pick, Peppers, Peppers, but run, rock, rhyme. Humpty Dumpty fell down. That's his art time. Jackie Nimble, what? Nimble. And he was quick, but Jam. Masked Jack saw Jay's dick. My oh. little boy, Pete oh. cold, lost her cheek.
2: that sound the turntables my wobble but they don't fall down
1: so a lot of that stuff Randy MC Fat Boys sort of stuff that i, I don't know if they thought of it as being geared for kids but certainly was perfect for kids uh are some of my earliest memories uh you know and it's been funny over the years to meet people who helped run dmc help the bc boys you know get out to the wider world right in a business right. sense uh bill adler's become a friend and mentor and he you know was in charge of pr during that period for def jam uh, run dmc was not def jam but you know same similar deal rush management whatever right. And that has been just incredible for me to, to meet people and be like, "Wow, you personally were in part responsible for this thing reaching me out where I was in, in suburban New Jersey." So, those are some early memories. You know, not long after that, got very deep into. Uh, you know, I'd say like Public Enemy and WA. Those were early mind-blowing experiences for me. Uh... <laughs>
3: How low can you go, death roll what a brother know, once again, back is the incredible Rhyme Animal, the Uncannibal Public enemy number one, five folks said freeze And I got numb, can I tell them that I really never had a gun But it's the wax that the X had Now they got me in a cell cause my records they sell Cause a brother like me said well Farrakhan's a property and I think you want to listen to What he can say to you, what you want to do is follow for now How the people say, make a miracle, keep up the lyrical Black is back all in, we're gonna
1: win, check it out yeah, Here we go again. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously some of the West coast stuff that came along a few years after that. And then as I got in college, right. I went to, uh, I think you mentioned this Berkeley college of music. Uh, I was playing guitar and stuff. And I found that while in college, my listening went from some rap and lots of other stuff to almost all rap Uh for a bunch of reasons, but in part because rap was not a music that I was making, right? So it became something that I could listen to for enjoyment and not have to worry about how did they do this? What scale are they using? Could I do that? It was just a, those weren't concerns in my universe, which is funny because of course I ended up dissecting rap (laughs) years later at Genius, but, you know, that was, I had no idea that was coming So, you know, I would say around college rap went from some of my listening to nearly all of it and, you know, years, I was a musician for a long time. And then I think it was 2009. Wow. I can't believe it was that long ago. I stumbled across a website that was then called rap exegesis, uh, quickly changed its name because no one knows what exegesis means. Uh, but it was like someone had taken my brain and put it on the internet, uh, I always thought of rap as kind of this ever-expanding web of, or rap lyrics in particular, and music because of sampling, like this ever-expanding web of of references and call-outs. And, you know, so if I would hear someone say something and it'd be a reference to an earlier song, I would almost visualize it as something resembling a hyperlink anyway. And so to actually see that on the internet was stunning. And I quickly got far too deeply involved in that website initially as a hobby, you know, it's not like, you know, if someone had said, do you want to work there? It would have been like asking, do you want to win the lottery? Like, do I want to (laughs) have my job be the thing I spend all my spare time doing? Sure. Yeah. It sounds great. I'd also, you know, love to come across a big bag of money on the ground, but you know, it didn't seem possible, but you know, eventually uh, you know, some VC money came in, it became a part-time and then a full-time job. And by the time that ended, I was sort of deeply enough ensconced in that world that I, you know, was like, well, okay, I'm, I'm doing this now. And ended up, you know, freelancing for a few years, writing for Forbes, doing some other stuff, and then ending up at Complex.
0: Word. Yeah, that that's an amazing tale that mirrors my own in a number of ways. I'm also from suburban Jersey, Jersey, the the Philly side mm-hmm. of Jersey, um, and found hip-hop not unlike the way you did with many of the same signposts. I'm also a classically trained pianist, played piano till your college and then got into some other music and decided I would be writing about music instead of playing music. So mm-hmm. the, uh, the symbiosis there is not lost on me. Um, and another thing, uh, you know, my favorite band and, and some of my dearest friends are Lettuce and they were at Berkeley right around the time you were, Adam Deitch and Eric Krasno and Adam Smirnov and so forth. And I'll never forget, uh, you know, so we listen to many podcasts out in the West Coast while we trim ganja. It's just kind of like a way to pass the time and, and you can sit there for hours on end and mm-hmm. it's kind of mindless work. So podcasts have been a, a real secret to our success and also facilitate a lot of really worldly conversations with different people from around the world that are passing through, working on the farms, et cetera. And I bring this up because you were talking to Bill Stephanie once Mm -hmm. on the Cypher and he brought up Adam Deitch and Lettuce and talking about Berkeley, And that was like a world's collide moment for me because here I am like, you know, hip hop nerd, much like Adam Deitch, maybe not quite as deep as he is, but, um, and listening to you along with a, a friend of mine named Jackson Whalen, who's a underground MC in his own right. And, it was just a mind-blowing moment of dot connecting. I picked up the phone and hollered at Deitch. I said, yo, I just listened to this uh, podcast with Bill Stephanie, and he talked about you. He was like, what? Where is that? So I sent him the show, and of course, and he was blown away by your show in general, and especially that episode. And that's emblematic of how I feel about the work that you do in general, but specifically with the cipher. It's just a uh, essential resource document chronicling the culture and the words of the people who lived it, who, who live the stories, who tell the stories. Um, you brought up Bill Adler. Some of my favorite episodes are yours with him because, uh, you know, it's Christmas or whatever theme uh, and and the stories that he tells from those times. And now knowing that that's what actually lit the fuse for you way back when, you know, as, as a journalist and as a podcaster, mm-hmm. when that happens and and you actually can fulfill those lifelong, you know, questions and wonders and uh with the, your heroes and the people that laid the foundation i mean y- y- i understand that and and i know that the the cipher was a labor of love labor intensive week after week after week 300 some episodes right it was and about about 250 by the 250. time it was all said and done yeah right and i wanted to just basically hear because i know that it's it's basically on indefinite hiatus and you've moved on to other endeavors that are as rewarding probably more so financially but also uh with in in regards to journalism and integrity and chronicling the culture what are and if you look in the rear view mirror at the cipher chapter and i say like when you talk about the mount rushmore of hip-hop podcast you're on there combat jack Juan Epp, you quest love supreme that's my rushmore of hip hop podcasts. And I would put heat rocks with Dub on there, but they kind of are a little bit wider of a, of a range than just mm-hmm. hip hop. But as somebody Dub,
1: former Cypher guest, as you know, definitely. Of course.
0: Yeah. And hopefully one day up for life guests from, from my lips mm-hmm. to jaw ears, uh, much like yourself, I would love to speak to Oliver one day and who knows they're on hiatus right now. So maybe I should take my shot, but I digress. Any or all reflections you have about, uh, the Cypher project, you and Josh, all the people you interacted with, all the stories you told um, as little or as much as you want to go in on that.
1: Sure. I mean, look, I, I hardly know what to say. Like, first, I, I just am amazed that, you know, we did this thing, you know, me and Josh and, and, you know, by the end, uh, Rob Van Franken who did a lot of the editing for sort of the last uh, bit of the show. um, It was just, an incredible experience. It started completely by accident. I had interviewed Jean Grey for intending just to cut it up in little pieces for the, you know, then Rap Genius website. And we just had this conversation. And my my now wife said, you should make that a podcast. And I said, what's a podcast? And, uh, you know, talk to a tech savvy friend and, and there, you know, there it was, and we kept it moving. And I think, you know, I'm just, I'm really proud that, especially once, you know, Josh and I really got our hands on it and named it the cypher and and were able to do what we wanted that, you know, we, we took time really to, to be, to make it an archive. I I always wanted every time I sat down with someone, I always thought, this is it. This is the last time I'm going to talk to them. A lot of times, luckily that wasn't the case, you know, but I always wanted to treat it like this is the last time let me get something that, you know, someone in 20 years, who's curious about, you know, Elzai or Shaggy or, you know, ESG or whomever is, you know, this will be a resource for them. Uh, That, that is always how I approached it. Uh, And I think, you know, we were successful with it. And it's been amazing to see in the few years since we stopped doing it, a whole new wave of shows, including yours of people who, you know, listen to the cypher and count it as an influence. Like that has just been wild to see and and just makes me so happy, you know, that it's it's living on. Um, Yeah, I mean, look, so many memories I'm, I'm looking back over the episodes now and you know each you know because so many of them are recorded in Josh's house there's just all these wild memories of you know uh Johnny Rotten or Curtis Blow or whomever you know just showing up at his apartment and playing with (laughs) his dog or whatever you know like I remember his uh his little dog really loved Boldy James there's some there's some fun photos of that and just I don't know it it there was just so so much. Uh, I think some of our best work was with people who maybe are not household names, right? I was going to say that. If if you know, if you look at Bill Stephanie, you look at Nana Ashurst. Yeah, if you yeah look at the Monica yeah. Lynch episode, like just people who who were in the industry and maybe you know were right there right say adams actually taught me this he said you know something to the effect of like because he was so close with the beasties for so many years he was like there's always someone else in the room
2: right
1: you know and a lot of times you will get as good or better recollections from the the people in the room who maybe you haven't heard of at first yes because they haven't been asked about it eight million times um so i think you know some of our some of our best work is with some of the names who maybe are, are a little less recognizable. So, you know, if you're just hearing me now, for whatever reason, you're going back through the catalog. Like if I, I would say every episode is worth hearing. And certainly if you don't know a name that might even be all the more reason to listen to it, but just like, I don't know, so many memories, man, talking to, to, you know, Dr. Dre, the MTV, Dr. Dre,
2: you
1: know, about Dick Gregory and, I think that happened like right after Trump's election, and so talking to him about that, and just just so many uh, crazy, crazy uh, experiences, and you know, people we got to meet, and crazy places we ended up at, and you know, unfortunately, a not, you know, and not insignificant subset of people we had as, as guests have passed on, right?
0: Indeed, yeah.
1: John Price, T.C. Islam uh obviously fred the godson uh reggie you know combat jack uh um, yeah
0: the tribute the, episode was incredible the co- the combat tribute amazing
1: thank you thank you that was a lot of you know that was a lot of josh's work in terms of like reaching out to people who you know knew him had worked with him you ready for combat, combat. Be ready for
2: combat.
3: Yo, Internets, Tonight, I got an artist on this show that I'm very, very proud of, man. Coming from Brooklyn, my hometown, he's making incredible noise. 18 years old. Don't call him a rapper. Don't call him a rapper. He's a rap wonderkin, an integral part of the Pro Era Collective. Tonight, Internets, on the Combat Jack Show Complex TV, we bring to you Joey Badass. <laughs> 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 Brooklyn.
2: Hey.
3: What's up, Joey? What up, though, man? Yo, welcome to the Combat Jack Show, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me.
2: Nah, man, I, I like the movement, man.
1: Like... I just, you know, I, I'm so happy we did it. And, you know, looking back on it, I think we have a real archive of stuff that hopefully will be useful to people for years and years to come.
0: Yeah, well, it certainly is. I can assure you that I've turned a number of my friends on to it, uh, and we've had really fascinating conversations about the conversations on your show. A really important point that you made was relative to the people behind the scenes, mm-hmm. the other people in the room. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you talk about podcasting, especially these types of podcasts that are real niche oriented and, you know, don't bring in tons of bucks, if any at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, the stories that are told and the people that pass on, um, I want you to know that those episodes resonate with me the most. The people behind the scenes, the ARs, the journalists, the authors, the weed carrier, blunt rollers, all of it. And I try to do that. Those, like quote unquote, thankless episodes or people that aren't household names, because I know by the example that you set that those stories are even more important sometimes to tell and have more color more context and frankly more accuracy than uh the bold font names so if you ever wondered like did those land i'm sure you didn't because people have probably told you this a million times they didn't just land they inspired a whole part of my journalism and reporting which is the, the uh, as you so aptly put it or say adams put it the other people in the room Mm -hmm. Um, That has been a guiding force for me in storytelling in music culture uh, is to to dig deeper beyond those we see on stage or the names on the records, whether that's who engineered the session Mm -hmm. or who wrote an article about this artist in 1987 and all points between. So I I just wanted you to know on behalf of hip hop fans and listeners uh, that those stories really, really matter. And, and I hope that I can do the same.
1: Thank you so much, Brian. I, I I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Like we, you know, again, Josh and I worked so hard for years on this thing. And, you know, I, to know that it landed and the parts that we loved, you know, landed and inspired other people is just is so, so meaningful. Um, yeah, that's That's really great. I guess, you know, the other, the other main thing I would say about the cypher is just, it was so great to have a chance to just like sit down with people and ask them whatever I wanted. Right. Like complex is a fantastic gig. I love it. You know, the, the shows we make, I am very proud of the articles I've written. I'm very proud of. There is something qualitatively different about, having something where you know the sole and result is whatever I want it to be and I can ask whatever I want and I can ask whatever I'm curious about and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to overlap with you know what might this audience who also likes other stuff want to hear you know maybe that was to the show's detriment in some ways but ultimately I think it, it made it really singular and it, it was just such a such a pleasure to do and be able to sit down with like All of those people and just, you know, follow my curiosity with, uh, you know, when I talk to them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's funny you say specifically do your homework because something I always enjoyed of the Cypher before I started my own pod would be when you just pull out a nugget on -hmm. an artist from their past and they would stop the story and say, damn, you really, you really know your shit. You really did your homework. So occasionally, I, I,
1: I love those moments, too, which is why we left so many of them in.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, so occasionally, not quite as frequently, occasionally that happens in my own interviews. Mm-hmm. And it's like the the Yeezy taught me. It was like Sitaro taught me, you know, oh, like.
1: Well, thank uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Brian. That's 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 just so awesome. It really got me uh, thinking about the shows here. It really was like, you know, it. It really was an experience to to do. And I'm I'm so, so grateful that they're there and that people are still listening to them. And I, I just, you know, hope they hope those episodes continue to get discovered. And you know, Josh and I are both still in podcasting. So, you know, they we're still around, we're still in New York, we're still friends. Anything is, you know, anything is possible down the line. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Uh, you know, we, we had there right after we put the show on hiatus, there were some talks about, you know, bringing it back that ended up not quite going anywhere, but it's still, you know, it could happen.
2: Yeah.
0: certainly. Well, of course we would love to see it and support it. However, we could financially on social, whatever that said, uh, the legacy is intact. If you never do another episode, uh, what you built speaks for itself. And I've been back Numbers. I've listened to some episodes three and four times because there's always something that I missed or or something that now makes a little more sense to me than it did two years ago. And I think that that's the magic of the evergreen podcast, the the sort of culture reporting of that nature. Is it's it's not uh, you know era specific or newsworthy or not. It, it's it's music culture storytelling, and it, it's it's evergreen. And and when you do it to the level that you have. With Josh and with your partners at, at Complex, you know that stuff is still as important, and oftentimes more so in the rearview mirror. Um, but I wanted to finish. I know we're getting at an hour here. I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on Complex because mm-hmm. you have an uh, you have an interesting uh, dichotomy, and, and really interesting if you think back to the old school uh, backpacker versus radio hip hop mm-hmm. uh, conundrum. Nobody has the or bono- Few have the bona fides uh, in terms of uh, cred with underground hip hop and and that whole integrity side of the culture with what we've described, all the stuff we've talked about you've done, yet you work for the flagship hip hop site slash magazine slash culture brand that exists in a macro sense around all, not just hip hop, but pop culture at large. What is your role with Complex and uh, how do you straddle those worlds? okay great i mean great
1: question my role currently uh and this changed within the past few months is just writing and recording podcasts that's my my sole job there for a long time like you were sort of alluding to you know even while i was creating the the takashi podcast i was also a staff writer so also writing articles features profiles whatever um and before that, you know, as a news writer writing, you know, whatever, you know, was popping on Twitter that day or whatever, trying to get it into 300 words. So, you know, really sort of went up the, the ranks there, starting literally as the overnight news guy, you know, working 12 to four or whatever, and uh, and moving up, up the ranks. It's been interesting. I think during my time as a feature writer, uh, I always tried to find the crossover point between things that I was interested in and things the audience would like. Uh, A lot of times that worked. Sometimes it didn't. Uh, Sometimes I had to move further to one side or the other of that, uh, you know, of that equation. But I always tried to balance that. And I think you can see that in the work there, you know, in, in both the articles and some of the videos I did, you know, I was able to have a number of videos on there, I was able to talk to producers about their and songwriters about their hits, about their work that is not dissimilar to the cypher. You know, I actually brought D dot Angeletti back who I had interviewed as a guest on the cypher in it's, in it's early days. Yeah. Um, brought him back for a, uh, Oh, excuse me no it wasn't it i apologize uh ron lawrence ron and ron lawrence who also yeah. had been a guest on the cypher that's one of my favorite cypher apps yeah i brought, brought him great brought him, him too complex to do a similar thing that was you know shortened obviously and breaking right. down you know primarily breaking down his his bad boy hits
2: yeah yeah Money hey I'm yo my I'm whole fit.
3: click bout it, about it, we take yours while you pout about it, truck, step out the hall wanna crowd around it, you could see me on knock them on TV, I want your bathroom, turn the light out, scream, bloody Mary, one two three
1: you know it, so there's stuff in there that was there was not dissimilar, Or taking that general approach, right? I talked to uh the songwriter Pooh Bear, who's best known for his work with Justin Bieber, and while that's not necessarily something that you know, I might've taken on the cipher. I tried to, I had talked to so many songwriters at that point uh, and I was actually interested in his process and his writing and tried to take that same sort of like questioning analytic approach and kind of throw it uh, in this context. So, yeah. So I would say like, there's a lot of stuff I did there, both about music and otherwise that, you know, I always tried to find the, the sweet spot between stuff I was interested in and stuff that, you know, we thought the audience would like, I guess that's the, that's the the short answer of like how I handled and continue to handle my time at complex. And like, once we land on something, then I try to bring, you know, sort of all of my resources to bear on it. Once we land on the, the subject matter.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, man. It's, It's remarkable, all all of it, the whole umbrella. And I've always been curious as to, you know, the prism in which you see the work that you do at Complex. Um, I can appreciate, uh, you know, much like they say the instrumental virtuosos, well, can you write a three minute song with a good hook? Well, like you can tell a story in six podcast episodes or do a 90 minute interview, but can you tell someone what happened in 300 words? It's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and to be able to kind of, you know, shoehorn what you do into those different frameworks and without, you know, losing any of the authenticity or integrity or, you know, how informed it is again, you know, I don't want to gas you up any more than I already have, but you inspire and even just where you are right now as somebody I'm 43. So I I imagine I'm a couple of years younger than you, but same kind of window of our lives. And, uh, I've asked myself a number of times over the past two decades, like, can I do this? Can I, can I, you know, make it, take care of myself, make a living, make my way in this world uh, as, a, as a journalist? And, you know, sometimes it's yes, sometimes I get discouraged, sometimes I take on a second job, whatever. But when I see folks like you doing what you're doing, it, it's a battery in my back. So thank you. And thank you for telling your story and your journey. Um, I know it's going to resonate with a number of my listeners and at the very least uh, it was, it's a pelt on the wall for me personally. So I give thanks. Thank you, Brian. I'm I'm
1: thrilled to do it. And thank you so much for all the kind words. And uh, you know, again, just a a final plug for your audience, Dummy Boy uh, published by Kingston Imperial. Make sure to pre-order it. Or if by the time you're listening, it's out, go buy it. Uh, It really is you know, the culmination of years worth of work on this topic. Uh, yeah. And thank you. Thank you so much for everything, man. I, I, again, all of the, all of the kind words better through everything I've done. Like you really get it. And I, I, really appreciate it.
0: As do we, and the feelings are mutual and I'll plug your book too. The, it'll be in the show notes, the links. And I toured through it in two sittings, my flight oh. from Oakland to Philly and then three hours on the beach. Uh, Amazing. And, and And I don't care for Takashi and I find a lot of the content uh, repugnant and I couldn't, I could not put it down.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Many blessings. And uh, we'll talk again, my friend. For sure. All right. Take care.
3: Oh, the 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 we, we rock the mic right we the mic we rock the, the, right. the, the mic right we rock the mic right we rock
2: the mic right we the mic we rock the mic right the mic we rock the mic
3: You could just, just play quad, blink yourself break, away. Jeff Beck to rock the mic with tooth stick Well, it's the five foot seven. Reside at the Mecca Restaurant South Section. Use the cut glass in the infinite, put a half back and eight bags.
0: Easy with the chicken with the chocolate. Yes, indeedy. I want to say thank you and a deep bow of gratitude to same old Sean, Sean Sitaro. For that uh, quite illuminating and inspiring and at times kind of horrifying conversation. Uh, certainly appreciate the depth with which he uh, discussed his book, which is called Complex Presents Dummy Boy, Takashi 6'9, and the Nine Tray Gangsta Bloods, which is out now. And like I said uh, to him and in the introduction, I found the Uh, content objectionable and abhorrent yet he really took us inside told a human story and i couldn't put the book down i read it in two sittings and it's not short so check that out if you're curious also check him out his various podcasts he's got the one about takashi called infamous as well as complex subject about pop smoke and uh since we spoke he came out with another one through complex i think it's also called complex subject but it's about ynw melly it's a florida drill rapper part of the same uh sort of strange violent um also creative and unique to this moment that is the drill scene and uh, look it's all over the country it originated in chicago with you know chief keefe but really kind of metastasized into all these different urban centers uh, around the world. And there's a channel I mentioned earlier called Trap Lore Ross. It's a YouTube channel and fellow over there in England who makes these tremendously fascinating documentaries about this culture. The good, the bad, the ugly. From the music to the violence to the social media dialogue. And, and he's actually a hilarious cat Uh over there with his accent and kind of just he really has his thumb on the pulse of the culture so in the aftermath of this conversation i had with sean that you just heard i've been off the deep end for months just watching and learning and and not just through trap Lore ross but he was certainly the gave me the keys to pandora's box if you will and and so did sean sotaro and these books the his book and these podcasts so all that to say uh As we discussed, Sean inspired this show as much as anyone, and it's modeled after the Cypher Show, and uh, without him, I'm not sure uh, that I would really know what the hell I'm doing here. So big up yourself, Sean Sitaro, check out his book, and yo, binge on the old Cypher Show podcast, because they're evergreen, and it's hip-hop history, and uh, the parade of luminaries that blessed those pod waves is uh, a deep, deep well so yes indeedy next up hopefully jay smooth if you're out there jay smooth ill doctrine radio we love you i would love to roll out the same red carpet for you my friend now you're listening to the roots live from 94 and uh this is like their earliest tour if you will and it's uh from Montreux in 94 and of course we talked about the passing of hub the international bass pimp leonardo del hubrio and like i mentioned uh you can read my reflections on his passing and the roots and just sort of a personalized eulogy if you will for a, t- a long gone time and place at philadelphia black lily okay player it was a uh, therapeutic um to write that up and and another thing i wanted to put on everyone's radar is kind of like my biggest article of the year it's a lengthy feature of my favorite records from the calendar year so this year it's 21 albums in 2021 so i reviewed 21 records and then i also included another 21 that i love just about as much but i'm not going to write 42 album capsules at least not yet, till somebody's paying me. But uh, <laughs> that said, I also give you 21 songs, most of which aren't found on the albums. A couple are, but not, most are not. And then uh, a handful of DJ sets, mixes, and officially released live albums. So this is a months-long process, 100 days. Um, and I put a lot into it. It's kind of like a passion project, a labor of love. I was thinking about maybe doing a podcast of this content, and who knows, maybe I will. But for now, I just wanted to put it on people's radar and tell you that it's out there. It has playlists, both Spotify playlists for the album stuff, SoundCloud playlist for the DJ sets. Um, of course, I made mention of the tragic passing of Charles I when writing about his most recent solo album, Solus. And you know, for a minute, I know I spoke on some other passings earlier, but I just got to uh, offer a moment of uh, mourning for Charles I, prodigal son of Truckee, California, devastating loss on so many levels. As I wrote in the feature, I remember when I first got hip to Charles back in 2017, barely out of his teens, making waves in the then nascent emotive brand of ethereal, psychedelic future base and uh i was living in nevada city at the time so nearby nevada city's notoriously elitist dance floor generals were hype on the young bull and i took notice early and often and the first time i heard versicolor or his running through the forest ep i made a mental note this kid is going places so yeah rest in beats charles the first so tragic um but that's one of the 21 records um few others include gone gone beyonds 2030 which might be my absolute favorite we've got nigel hall spiritual and salt nine and ultimate fantastic judith hill neil francis nubia garcia movie club mad lib rising appalachia nth power i could go on i don't want to spoil it i would love for people to go check it out it's the top story on upfullife.com 21 favorite records of 2021 and more Um, I do have a link on there if you'd like to donate. If you'd like to somehow support this work, um, you can just drop a few bucks in my Venmo or PayPal. Obviously, the content's free. But notice, the site has no ads. So, hey now, you like what I'm putting out there. If you're picking up what I'm putting down, uh, please tip your bartenders. Um, And with that, let's shift into uh, the Vibe Junkie Jam like we always do about this time and i'm it's going to be a twofer to represent threefer so uh, we've got the roots going in the background um we all know as i spoke earlier about greg tate and and what he was about um with regard to black music and hip-hop and the annals of the culture so this whole segment is dedicated to greg tate and really you know I think everything that all of us do, the Jay Smooths, the Sean Sitaros, myself, Amir Questlove Thompson, it's all for Greg Tate, because of Greg Tate and for Greg Tate. So uh, the Vibe Junkie Jam of the week will be dedicated to Greg Tate and we'll include, uh, we'll start with Robbie Shakespeare, Sly and Robbie. As I mentioned earlier, Black Uhuru, early 80s, hands down my favorite reggae music ever created. It is more beyond words. I, I think I called it drugs earlier, but that's a disservice. It's better than drugs. It's it's magical potion. So my favorite song is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner Natty Dreadlocks, because you know that was kinda like the theme music that followed me around when I wore a head of locks. So we're gonna play a classic uh Guess Who's Coming to Dinner from 1981 the iconic Black Uhuru lineup that I never saw. I did see Sly and Robbie play with Black Uhuru uh, in Burlington, Vermont in 1997 at the Memorial Auditorium, part of the reason why they're my favorite. But when you're talking about their absolute apex as a unit, it's Michael Rose and Ducky and Puma and Sly and Robbie. And that's like 80 to 83, 84 as, as far as I know. So we're going 81. Guess who's coming to dinner, Natty Dreadlocks, from Germany. And then we're going to go with a tribute to Hub, uh, Leonardo Del Hubrio, Leonard Hubbard, the late, great, longtime bassist of the legendary Roots crew, Illa Fifth Dynamite, all the way live from the 215. Y'all know how we do. And I'm going to pick uh, a song near and dear to my heart. It's called Water, um, or as we say back home, Wooder. And it's from their album Phrenology, which I wrote about the record release party in that eulogy. But the album uh, Phrenology has the song *Water*, but it was meant for Black Thought's uh, never released solo album, which was going to be called Masterpiece Theater. And a couple songs off of Phrenology um, have were originally meant for that album. Anyway, I digress water is a letter from black thought and the roots as a crew to former member malik b who actually passed away last year as well but at the time he was still alive and uh it's no secret he's struggling with drug addiction and it's a big part of the reason why he sort of wandered away from the roots crew while they were blowing up and if you know the first few albums uh they're two MCs. i mean a a lot of times you got scratch up there and razelle as well but when it comes to verses and rapping you have malik and black thought and then all of a sudden you just had black thought and people wondered why and uh so black thought tells you why in the song water it's gripping emotional personal deep song that's uh obviously for my own reasons it's i'm just closely connected to so that's how we're going to finish it up hub on the bass it's live from north sea jazz festival 2003 um it's an incredible song it's kind of like a halftime drum and bass hip-hop light years ahead of its time black thought like we already know he's unfuckwittable but if you ever wondered if he had the emotional page in the black thought handbook when you know you're about to find the fuck out so Rest in peace, Malik B. Rest in peace, Leonardo Del Hubrio, International Bass Pimp. Rest in peace, Greg Tate. Rest in peace, Charles I. Rest in peace, Robbie Shakespeare. Fuck. We'll see you next time. Goodbye, Job bless. Yes, indeedy.
2: My, mellow, my man, man, <laughs> we do it like that, that.
3: The mission, I'm not bugging. I got bam, can't stop bugging, and can't sleep. They can't stick to one subject, and can't eat. It's people steady coming at me out in the street. Like keep going up with your beats they nigga. You need to watch that man say you high, so you're missing out on the you fly. I can see the streets suck a lot of cats dry. Not you and I, you know why? We got to get off y'all. Yeah. Over, over. over. The a couple of deals, be the shit, clothes, the wheels Killed my ice and bills, the rock shows the brawn slept on floor, tryna figure what the fuck we gettin' slept on for What are we walkin' with the weapon for? Waitin' by the gravity law, you know when if you came up poor Yeah, picture the bus up north, and we made her Everything out. laws are made up, I'm far from a hater And I don't say I love you, cause the way I feel is greater And like you a pro and so you a born creator It'll probably dawn on you later It's in your nature Never on your walls Like they made a paper You gotta follow in time and Take your money You can fuck around and finally make it That's real for just you Ladies on and high. gentlemen so we just This is not a place to you It's something special Everybody get over Over, over the water Get over, over the water, get over, over, the water. Get over, It's called know, water, know, y'all Mad water, know, come on, I want you all to understand I come from South Philly and when I walk the streets like a the pharmacy. They got all types of shit anybody can get me. Go from extra, extra Lucy cigarette, to my ghetto on legend. Known for little shit's burning, rock go deep, rock pork, Dumbin' and dumbin' and just embracing the door Like it's a woman You puttin' both put sides of the rope And just pullin' and tuggin' In between the slavish face thuggin' Playin' everyday, I'm runnin' away and doin' nothin' See him lookin' Shakin' a head and getting strong in the they got a man like Mom, you got a cousin and yo' You better be a true friend to him before the shit put an end to him Or give a pin to him Don't lock him in the studio with a mic On a villain mic, save his life I keep tellin' him just Master your ha ha it doesn't matter what's passing you by Suck a lot of can dry Ladies and gentlemen, special request for To all rules, bring them up oh, And pump pump it up, rule, oh, bring oh, them right. up It's called for the young, burn, burn How y'all feel out there, ladies and gentlemen? Y'all still with us or what? Don't y'all put your hands together for a few members of my squad Ladies and gentlemen All the way from Jamaica, Philadelphia, holding it down Maintaining the pocket Give it up for my brethren F Knuckles on percussion Put your hands together Some serious shit all the way from San Francisco, California. I like to call him the Reverend Doctor. We're blessed to have the soulful sounds, on vocals, and guitar from our good brother, Mr. Martin Luther. Ladies and gentlemen, show your love. Huh. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Thanks, I can check you on, all the way from the city of Philly, we got my man Marzilla, the keyboard killer. Please give a round. Down on the keyboards for the legendary roots Crew. You might have heard the legend of one of the baddest drummers on the earth, ladies and gentlemen. We're blessed to have right here with us giving up for the mighty quest love, maintaining the pace on drums. Thank you. And a newest addition to the squad from Flat. On guitar, Coach Douglas Thank you I want y'all to taste and taste Sony What it taste like, y'all What it taste like it? Check it out, man Whoa Or did I come along and hit you with the futuristic? Or is it cause you're really gonna see your future with him? He bought his paper, but never took time for you to listen. You wanna grip the flip this and get stripped this show, no way to get in the zone, of course. Dealing with this, you won't be taking a loss. You should leave home alone, proven cause I'm breaking you I'm moving move in my way. Use the Looking like your Friday boss. The pan prayer structure. Just look at your body. Keep each other thirsty. Kisses like Hershey Lips is sealed. We don't need a controversy. I say I'm Italian. Say you it, won't. In a worse way. I know you told your man a little something. Something. But meanwhile, something nice laying in the eyes. Ready for the freaky things you're done in your life. breaking it down like we roll dogs. Full in the heights. Making sounds like the vibe. Got you reaching your height. Prepare for flight, it's your captain, I'm getting strapped in. It's for no denying this trip, and it's it is attraction, girl. Dealing with this, you won't be taking a loss. Stop fooling your man, roll with me because I'm breaking you home so about look rock the rhythm out and make your body rock the rock, rock, rock.